This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to Asia Torah here in Practical Spirituality Overlooking the Temple Mount. And we are now going into Hanukkah. It's a very exciting time. And uh, I just got the Greek out of me. I woke up early this morning, and first I did the, the Jewish thing to do is I went to the hot mikvah, and I sat in the hot mikvah for a little while, and then I went to uh, pray. And after I prayed, I went to um, surf, because the waves are really big today, and had an amazing session surfing with um, one of my old buddies, Ben Miller, and we just never put it together that we both surf, which is interesting. So we got to surf for about an hour and a half, which was awesome. Then I went mountain biking in the mountains of, uh, you wouldn't even know, I don't even know where to tell you, near Latrun Junction. did some serious writing there, but I just misjudged the time. I thought I did it right, but I missed it a little bit. And so I just came racing in. A little water would be amazing if anyone's got two cups of water for me, that'd be great. So let's begin. Um, we're going into Hanukkah now, and, and Hanukkah is an extra special holiday. It's extra special in that it is a raising of light. It's, we're taking, we're um, sorry, did I say raising light? It's a lowering of light. A lowering of light. All the other holidays in the Jewish calendar are generally... Thank you so much. Most holidays have us, you know, we're rising up and we're, we're like... I mean, we're being, we're being lifted up by whatever that holiday is. And whatever that theme is. But on Hanukkah, we're actually taking the lights of the, our Hanukkah and we're putting them as low as possible. Like we're taking them down to the lower realm. It says in the Kabbalah that, that uh, God's presence doesn't dwell under ten handbreaths, ten tefachim. So under ten handbreaths, which is about here down, God's presence doesn't dwell. And, but here the mitzvah is specifically, not that everyone does this, but the mitzvah is specifically to put your menorah in the lower realm. You're supposed to take your menorah and put it in the, in the, in the place where God's presence doesn't dwell, into the darkest places. And so this particular holiday is very important to all of us, especially in this generation, because we're living in a generation that's, that's it's, relationship to physicality, to the, the external world is particularly powerful. And, and we, are, we are like, we've really inherited Greek culture in a big way, and Jews more than Gentiles. Jews are more into the culture of, of the Greeks than the Greeks are. And that's why you'll see that, that, and this is one of the proofs of Sinai, is that even the most secular Jew even for generations, like a family that somehow stuck, stayed Jewish for three, four generations. I know most families, once they marry out, um, they, I'm sorry, did I say marry out? Once they no longer keep the commandments, they generally, by the third generation, are gone. You know, it's, it doesn't take long. Meaning it's not that Shabbos, it's not that the Jews kept Shabbos, it's that Shabbos kept the Jews. And as soon as people let go of Shabbos, so then the rest was history within a generation or two, three, four. But there are actually families. And especially in Canada, that like stayed secular and married Jews, and South Africa, stayed secular, married Jews, and they brought it from that like they literally kept the line going, culturally, just culturally Jewish, 
and without all the commandments and all the uh, halachot, the, the laws and everything. And those, those people are always in interesting situations in that those Jewish people, they have, they're part of the three, the three D's, okay? Okay, three D's are, um, part of the three D's, and the three D's are, are distracted, depressed, or devoted. Distracted, depressed, and devoted. Those are the three Ds of Jews. But you will find that the Jewish people in the secular form, meaning they should not be showing these interesting traits three, four generations later, they shouldn't show it, but they do, is that they're amazing at distracting themselves. Now, what do I mean by distracting yourself? What does it mean to distract yourself? Distracting yourself usually comes from what's called existential angst. It's where your life turns meaningless. And so you have this like need for meaning, like a deep need for meaning. I would call it a Sinai need for meaning. Where, where I mean, you think about it. In your DNA, meaning your spiritual DNA, you were at Sinai, which means you had the most insane experience ever in the history of humanity where God broke all his own rules. What are God's rules? You can't see him. You can't touch him. You can't feel him. You can't. You can't hear them, you can't taste them, you can't smell them. Yeah, you can't, there's no way to, to ultimately behold of God. And for an entire nation, millions of people, three million people, God goes full THX, round sound, Omnimax, 3D, LSD, blow away version of himself. It's only one time in history happened. According to our tradition, everyone died in that moment. I called my wife when I dropped my car off and I said, I said, send a Powerball. We, we Powerballs, which are, you know, these homemade raw food balls that we put together. And anyway, chia seeds, part of that, they kind of get stuck between your teeth and then slowly start expanding. (laughs) That one was expanding. So (laughs) anyway, the, the, the dis- so the distraction, the distraction is coming from, is coming from this incredible need for meaning. Like we have an amazing, amazing need for meaning. This is one of the reasons why in Israel, in secular Israel, they are connoisseurs and creators of some of the best things in the world. I Meaning you can, our little tiny sliver of a country has one of the top philharmonic orchestras in the world. Our little tiny country is uh, only second to America in high tech. Our little tiny country has the fourth most powerful army in the world. Our little tiny country has some of the greatest wines on the planet. Our little tiny country has craft beer that is beyond belief. Our little tiny country has like everything that anyone ever distracted themselves with. They're going to go all the way. They're going to go all the way. They're going to hit international standards of whatever they do because they've got to distract the Sinai voice inside. Because nobody wants life to be that meaningful. (laughs) We all want meaningful lives, but not 
that meaningful, you know. We don't want that kind of meaning, you know, where, like, every single thing you do makes a difference. You know, like, nobody wants that, you know. Anyone here want want surveillance cameras in their closet, their walk-in closet or their bedroom? Or someone want a surveillance camera in their bathroom? <laughs> All the guys certainly don't. So, the uh, nobody wants surveillance cameras in their bathroom. And But once you're... Once you get the Sinai lottery ticket, you know, and you win it, you're, I mean, everything matters. Everything's meaningful. Like, there's no moment that's not meaningful. And so, I mean, you you really won the lottery if that's your thing. And there are people like that. There's a couple in this room, even. I know most of you don't care that much about meaning. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I wasn't born yesterday. Like, I'm getting used to 2018. It's taking me a really long time. But I'm just about used to 2018, and I'm really nervous that I only got it in December. But I got it. I got it. I'm there. <laughs> Basically, when it comes to, like, what's in people's minds in 2018, if we could cap- encapsulate this, the year, expect nothing. We're talking about what to expect in someone's mind. Expect nothing and you won't be disappointed. That was 2018. (laughs) Expect nothing and you won't be disappointed. So, anyway, so you can understand why why introducing cannabis to the world in the way they have in the last few years is going to be a total disaster. (laughs) You know, people are starting with nothing. What happens after cannabis? What happens when you add cannabis to nothing? How do you have less than nothing? <laughs> You're already at nothing, how do you get less than nothing? So, but there are people, even in this room, and you know who you are, and I know who you are, and that, that actually would love to have that level of meaning. They just got a powerful appetite for it, they want it, they want to live life that way, and they're smart too, and you should all be that way. You should all want that, because you're going to have a happy life. Listen, a meaningless life is unhappy. It's unhappy. It's one of the main reasons for depression. And once again, you can go three, four, five generations later in Jewish communities of secular Jews, generations later, and they still make up over 40% per capita of depressed people compared to Gentiles, 40% more than Gentiles, likelihood of being depressed. Because meaninglessness and depression, they just go together. There's other reasons for depression. But meaninglessness and depression, those are big corollaries. They're directly correlated. Meaninglessness and depression. So we should all want meaning on that level. We should all like really desire meaning big time. You want to like, wake up to it and you want to go to sleep to it. And you want everything in between to be meaningful. So Noah had three children and the oldest one's name was Yafet, which comes from the word Yofi. Now, what does the word yofi mean? Beautiful. It means beautiful, but external or internal? What do you think? Yofi. External. external. That's external. What's chen? Internal. internal. And there's many other words for beauty that, are, that go deeper and deeper. But, but yofi is external beauty. It's Greek. And it also means to expand. The word yafet means to expand. So it's external beauty and expanding. Well, who has more of a penchant for external beauty, for meaning for externalities, surface stuff, than Westerners 
And who is more expansive than Westerners? And the answer is nobody. Noah's three sons, the oldest name was Yafet, and if you follow his line in the Torah, it actually, you can follow the names, it goes directly to the Greeks. One of his grandchildren's name is Yavan. And Yavan is the father of the Greek Western civilization, and boy, did they expand and expand and expand. They used to ride elephants. When they, when they would conquer a country, they came on elephants. I mean, that's pretty freaky. You know, imagine dealing with a... a army up where everyone's on elephants. <laughs> it's like, there's only one thing you do when the army's coming on elephants. You put up a white flag and you say, how can I help you? And, and they were pretty cool too. They just kind of took the culture over, turned them to be a Greek, you know, they Hellenized them. And the people were happy to be alive because they weren't really that attached to their culture to begin with because what is culture if not just the evolution of man staring at his belly button. And, and then... The, so they would happily give that up to live. I mean, why would you ever die for, like, heavy sauces in France? Or, or why would you ever die for, like, fast cars and nice shoes in Italy? You know, like, your culture is random. So, of course, you'd give that up. You know, if the Greeks were pressing you on their elephants. But when they came into Israel, we also gave up immediately. There was nothing we could do. We were just like, okay, we surrender. You know, and just like every other country, and they're like, okay, so we're going to be hanging out with a little bit of Greek culture in here, you know, and they, and the Jews just were not exactly very malleable. We were not interested in that. And then we realized, oh my gosh, this isn't about you know, physical, this is about the spiritual. Now, I want to tell you that we actually have laws when it comes to war, and the laws go like this. If they're going to kill your body, you, you, um, you pray. And if, meaning you, you build your spirit. If they're going for your body, you grow spiritually, you build your spirit. Prayer is one example of that. If they're going for your soul, <coughs> then you use your body. Now, in this particular case, the Greeks weren't going for our body or our soul, so we thought. Because they generally also left a lot of a culture to its own devices. Meaning, other than gr- some Greek values, like, let the people do their thing. I mean, you can imagine a bunch of Africans, I mean, they were like mowing through Africa. You think the Africans were like suddenly into like, you know, uh, gladiator? oh, that, sorry, that was the Romans. You think that they were suddenly into sculpture and like, I mean, they're in a sculpture, like idolatry, idolatrous sculptures and stuff, but, but they weren't that in a Greek culture. When they came into Israel, they also were going to leave us alone more or less. And deals were made with the Alexander the Great. You know what one of those deals was? Anyone know a deal that we made with Alexander the Great not to like totally wipe us out? Anyone know a deal? To name our children Alexander. Oh, it had to be the firstborn? Was it firstborns? Anyway, name children Alexander. That's why you meet Jews named Alexander. It's not very popular, is it? In the in the Hasidic world, it's more popular. Yeah, yeah. You meet a lot of guys named Sender. They they'll go by Sender something like that. That's Alexander. Alexander knew that they were using Sender. He probably rolling the Sender. He probably wouldn't have liked that. Anyway, but eventually the Jews realized that this is a spiritual war, and so they made battle. Now, listen up. Listen up. They're coming after our bodies, like, to kill us, like they did in Shushan Abira, in the Purim story. What was our answer? War or pray? 
Well, we prayed, and then at the end, we, we did stick up for ourselves. In the um, in Hanukkah, war or pray? War. War. But what happened is the Jews assimilated into Greek culture. And it's very interesting that the people who fought the war in the end were not the warriors. They were the Kohanim from the temple. That doesn't make a lot of sense, because Kohanim aren't allowed to be around death, so they're not exactly part of the army. Jews had army. Believe me, we had an army. But we had so badly sunk into Western standards, Western values under the Greeks that we, that the only people left to fight were the only people holding on to Torah. That was it. Just the, just the Maccabees, just the Kohanim. And that's who fought the war. Now let's go back. Who is the second son of Noah? That's Shem. Shem means name. Name means meaning. When you name something, you're giving it, you're putting meaning to something. It means something. Like if I say pen, while holding a pen, doesn't mean much. But if I take the pen away and I say the word pen, it, that means something to you. And so do concepts. And you can just keep naming things. In fact, you could say your thirst for knowledge is really you're naming things. You're trying to understand your world. You're trying to distinguish things that had gotten blurred because you just hadn't gotten to that level of understanding. And you're constantly naming things and naming things and naming things. The more you're into meaning, the more you're going to want to name the world so that you understand this world and that you have meaning in your life. So the second son of Noah is named meaning, ultimately. So the first son of Noah is about physicality and Greek culture. The second son of Noah is about meaning. Now, it's very interesting if you notice. Now, a lot of people think that Noah... The whole flood of Noah and all that story is mythology. And it is true, by the way, that it is Kabbalistic. And I mean extremely Kabbalistic. So when you're dealing with extremely Kabbalistic stuff, there's no way for us to know what literally took place. We just don't know. And it doesn't matter that much. It really doesn't matter that much. But there are people who can't even invite themselves into a life of Torah taking that story literally. And so I would suggest to those people not to take that story literally because you're going to miss way too much. If you want to call that the bathwater, taking the story of Noah literally, well, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's a lot of baby there, and the, and which is all of Jewish history and everything we have offered the world. You don't want to throw that out because of a flood story. We don't know what happened then. No, nobody knows. We know Kabbalistically that anything that it says in the Torah is not literal. We know that. And what's one of the best proofs? The very beginning of the Torah, where it says, you know, the first day, the second day, the third day. And what was, what was created on the fourth day? Sun. The sun. Yeah, tell me, how, what's a day? What's a day? A day is how long the earth rotates in relationship to the sun. No sun, no day. No tiki, no washi. Okay? No, no sun, no day. So what in the world is a day when there's no sun? What is this day? So we don't know. It's not a literal story here. Because there's no way the sun was created on that day because just a lot of trouble might have happened without a sun. Not to mention the fact that our orbit is only in orbit and not flying out randomly through space is because of our sun. So... Obviously, there was a sun. But the Torah says it was created on the fourth day. So what does that mean? You're going to take off your tzitzis? No longer wearing tefillin? 
No longer eating chaunt on Shabbos. Not going to light Hanukkah candles. So the answer is, is that when we're learning the Torah, we are learning a string of information. When I learned Kabbalah, I don't even know what Parsha I'm on. <laughs> Meaning, you're, there's no way to know. Because it, it doesn't even slightly reflect, reflect the story in the particular portion of the Torah. Not even slightly. There's no relationship. So I think, but obviously if I was a bigger Kabbalist, I'd know exactly how this string of letters relates to this Kabbalistically relates to the story, but I'm not on that level. But isn't it interesting that Noah had three sons? One's into externalities and expansion, and look at his children's progeny. They go right to Europe, Yavan, Greek, and they just expand their way around the globe. I mean, like, really expand and never stop. You know, I was surfing in Indonesia once, in jungles of Indonesia. We're talking like tree houses and like no roads and stuff, like real intense jungles. And I, I got to, you know, where I was going to be staying, and I, it was a little village, and I found a whole group of villagers sitting around, and they were like watching television. <laughs> I was like, that's not possible. You know, this is because everything's, you know, if you've got electricity there, you're on a generator. And lo and behold, I look up on top of a palm tree. We're in the middle of a jungle. On top of the palm tree, way up there, guess what was up there? A satellite dish. A satellite dish. And all these people, not only them, the older ones were kids for sure, but there were older ones there and there were elders. All like looking at the screen, just going like, ah, I think I haven't eaten in two days. And, and meanwhile, I'm like, you know, I'm just there to surf, you know, and nibble on other things growing. And, but I just wasn't there for television, that's for sure. But boy, do they expand the Greeks. And by the way, who created Hollywood? The distracted. The distracted created Hollywood. And then went on to make a bunch of shows to make themselves feel better, like the jazz singer and like Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, what is story Fiddler on the Roof? It depicts an absolute idiot named Tevian. A guy who doesn't know his ass from his elbow. From, like, anything in Judaism. And, but boy, you know, he can dance, you know. <laughs> and he can drink. You know, and then you watch his, how many daughters? Seven. No. Three. Eleven, was it? No. Ten? Oh, it wasn't five. Yeah. No, it was about nine, I think. He has way a lot of daughters. And yeah, yeah check it again. You can just Google someone. Who's my Google guy today? How many daughters did Tevya have? That's all you have to write. So, anyway, and you watch one after the other, after the other, after the other assimilate, all the way to marrying Gentiles. What? Five? Oh, she beat you. Okay. Everyone get ready next time. We're racing. No, actually, put your phones away. Phones away. CPN. So, and you just watch them assimilate. And meanwhile, he's just like, you know, tradition, tradition. And all of the secular Jewish world, which today is now lowered itself down to 85%. Those days it was 90%. All the secular world, they've only lowered themselves because they've disappeared. It's not like we have more of them becoming observant. They just, the observant Jews are having lots of babies and the second ones are disappearing. 
Anyway, so now they're like 85% of identified Jews. And they were eating these movies up. They were eating them up because it made them feel better. And the last part of the jazz singer has Neil Diamond on the stage. What's the songs in what are the songs in uh, Neil Diamond's jazzy? I have no idea. You know, I'm just not that generation. But, but anyway, he's playing the big concert. And in like the fifth row is a man with a white beard and a long coat and a black hat going like this. After he fought him. After he fought him. And then you see, and he's, he's, he's basically blessing. He's the, the high priest of hell who's now going to bless all the secular Jewry who've gone Greek and say, it's okay to go Greek. You can let Judaism become a museum piece. They even made a museum in America in, uh, about Judaism. Can you imagine a museum about Judaism? <laughs> You're really far. You can only put it in L.A. where Judaism's become a relic. But they put it in uh, L.A. It's called the Puck Museum, I think. I forget what it's called. And it was a museum about Judaism. You know, it cost them $7 million in the day when they built it. And on their opening day was the day that the fully observant community had to stop serving hot meals to their children at school. Meaning the very day they opened it for $7 million, the kids who actually keep the Torah, when they opened the Museum of Judaism, you know, so we shouldn't forget, right? Never forget. We learned that from the war. So never forget Judaism either. We're going to put it as an exhibit. Anyway, I was visiting Ishator at the time. They said, do you mind taking our students to the Puck Museum? I'm like, that's cool. So I go up to the Puck Museum. When I walked in that door, the docents, those are the ones in charge, you know, the tour guides, the docents looked at me like, where did you come from? You know, it's like I popped out of one of their exhibits. I mean, they literally turned flush. I mean, they were just white. They, they turned white. And then, like, couldn't even look at me for the whole tour. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a thorn in their side for keeping Judaism in this generation. Anyway, so look, and lo and behold, Yafet is these Westerners, boom, big time. Much of the Jews, we'll go into that later in the week, why the Jews rise to the top, like Joseph. They can't stop rising to the top. We'll be talking about that later. And and ultimately become the way out of per capita depressed people. But enough about Jews for a moment. The Westerners expand, 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 expand. Turn everyone into dopes when it comes to deeper meaning. I mean, you, you're not necessarily a dope. You may be a computer scientist or you may be even a brain surgeon. But you're a technical brainiac. When it comes to meaning in life, you're empty. So um, there's still smart people out there. But that part of our lives that's called meaning has gone the way of the dodo. And meanwhile, his second son, Shem, which means meaning-oriented, is the word Semitic. The word Semitic is from the word Shem. So when you hear the word like Semitic or anti-Semitism, it's from the word Shem. It's just an English version of it. It comes from people hating the Jews because we are our direct descendants after Noah's son Shem. It goes like this. Noah and then Shem, Pachshad, Shelach, Ever, Peleg, Reu, Srug, Na, 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 Nachor, Terach, Avraham. And we're a direct line to, from, from Shem to Avraham. And then Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and then the 12 tribes, B'nai Yisrael, and that's where we're from. Very interesting. 
that when you cross all of Europe, meaning you cross London, jump over the English Channel, cross all of Europe, it's all just Europe, 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 Yavan, Greek, 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 Greek culture. And then you hit the Med. You cross the Mediterranean. Okay, you may have to jump over Tel Aviv a bit. Jump over Tel Aviv. And then, but you should know Tel Aviv people are very, very meaning-oriented. They're just what? Distracted or they're highly medicated. Okay? And, and anyway, you cross over Tel Aviv and you just start shooting east within minutes, half hour, 40 minutes, you're in Jerusalem where it's like meaning is the game. Is it a little chilly in here at this point? Everyone's good? You got a yes? Okay. Okay. You can hit the button. We only got a few minutes left. Yeah, hit the button. So, anyway... Ever. Yeah, the power button. <laughs> He's like, here's a button. That, yeah. Okay, here we go. No, that's fine. So, I like the quiet. This. You probably didn't realize there was this noise. No, there was a noise. And it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. Because I work in studios and have a very fine-tuned ear. So that this whole time there's been this... Now you feel it. Just think about your nervous system with side sounds, how much it's dealing with without you knowing it. Take a deep breath even right now, you'll feel different. I've spent my day in the sea and in the mountains. That's good for the nervous system. Now, you get to Jerusalem, and it's like heavy meaning-oriented. You go east of Jerusalem, you cross over the Jordan. Now you're in like, now you're in like third-world country. Jordan's like a third-world country. Besides, in there, like, I'm on Jordan, but it's a third-world country. People are like living off meaning. You cross Jordan, you get to, I don't know, no, you get to Iraq or Iran, one of those. And then, you, then you're at the stands. Next you know, you're in India. India where you can like just meditate on the meaning of life all day long. Meaning these are all Semitic cultures. Because Yishmael, the father of the Arab nomads, in fact the word Arab is synonymous with nomads, all those nomadic tribes before Islam were all from Shem, because they're Yishmael. And not only that, but Abraham had six children and sent them eastward to India, to the lands of the east. And in fact, if you look in the Torah, by their names and the names of the grandchildren that they had, the Torah lists the names, are the names of the sacred books of Hinduism. And Hindu scholars say that, the, that their teachings came from the west of the Euphrates, which is here. At the exact same time, their dates are exactly the same time that Abraham sent his kids eastward. So this is a Semitic area here. And very interestingly... Uh, Noah also had a third son, the youngest son, whose name was Ham, which means hot or instinctual. And that's the aboriginal cultures, including all of Africa. Instinctual people. Amazing, amazing instincts. I mean, we, we got so much we can learn from them. Uh, living instinctually and having our bodies in tune and just being in our bodies. like that, That's important. And that's exactly what happened. Those are the three cultures. So everyone used to always ask me a question. They used to always ask me when I teach this class, not this particular class, but when I teach the Noah class. So they would always ask me, well, what about China? You know, there's a billion people over there. Like, 
who are they? They're not Yafet, that's for sure. They're not meaning-oriented, that's for sure. And they're not, they're not Ham, and they're not Africans, and they're not Aboriginals. So who are those people? And so the answer is, the answer I used to give was always from the Kabbalists. The Kabbalists teach us that they're from North Africa. That the Chinese are from North Africa. So whenever I used to say that to the class, I always felt like a little funny saying that because they just do not look African. But then again, North Africans are usually light-skinned. Moroccans are a little more light-skinned. Egyptians are often light-skinned. So, so it could be, except what happened? About 20 years ago, the people studying genetic um, migration, genetic migration, traced China to North Africa. <laughs> and I was shocked, but like real serious evidence, meaning, meaning it's considered a known fact today that the Chinese are from North Africa. They're from Ham. Chinese are from Ham. And it does make some sense if you understand a little bit about, about the, uh, you, know, they're, you know, they're the ones with like the baby toys that the kids die with, you know, like just not a big ethic. Shem, Shem, Shemites would never do that. We couldn't live with ourselves to create a toy that would be dangerous for kids, especially a kid's toy. And, uh, and then we would just never do that. And Yafet would be too worried about a lawsuit. So you'd have to be from Ham to just go for the buck, you know, the immediate gratification. Yeah. So they're aboriginals as well, so they're likely from Ham, and they're also killer instincts. Killer instincts, really instinctual people. Um, so they're likely also from Ham, but I don't know exactly. You know, apparently they got there on a land bridge between uh, uh, the uh, northern Soviet Union east, you know, edge and uh, Alaska. Apparently, I mean, that's supposed to be their bridge, but who knows where those people are from. But it's so cool that they're not into idolatry. I just think that's so weird. And that, um, and that the Jews have done pretty well over there in a country where the aboriginals weren't into idolatry. You know, it's pretty strange. In the South American jungles also, they got witches and stuff. They got like, like they definitely got witches, but not a lot of witches, like very few, and they do not appreciate their witches. But the actual traditions are non-idolatrous. Really interesting. You know, here you got full-on major spirituality. But as soon as a Jew hears spirituality that's not Jewish, they're like, uh-oh, you know. Don't, don't, bound down, don't bend down and tie your shoes because there may be an idol right in front of you. But, uh, but down there in those jungles there, to monotheism. I noticed, though, that they're also into plant medicines. And that, that, uh, that the plant medicine tradition lends itself towards seeking God more than any idol. Like, no one's going to stop at the idol shop on their way to, to, the, to God if you have a path, a spiritual path that the plant medicines provide. So it is interesting that the plant medicines, they're, uh, they're not into idolatry, which is... Curious, curious, because the the Indians who are steeped in idolatry are not into plant medicines; they're into meditation and stuff like that. Okay. Um, anyway, but so we have Yafet, external beauty and expansion. We got Shem, which is meaning orientation. Let's bring it back to us. We've all grown up. If you understand my English net right now, you've been living in Greek culture big time. And what you gonna do about it? <laughs> what you gonna do about it? You've got like, I mean, it's already four or five candle lightings in like 35 minutes if you're Litvish and like an hour if you're Hasidish. <laughs> he's, already, he's already like, I'm out of here. 
Yeah? What are you going to do about it? Just going to light a candle? That's it? Light a candle? Just be another 2018 externality person? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this? Because we've been hanging out in Greek culture. We think Greek. Sometimes I get a Shabbaton in, in, um, in Greece. Uh, you know, wherever. I don't want to name cities, so I don't want to speak Lushenhar, but East Coast, North America. So I go to do, so I do, so I go to do a, you know, a Shabbaton in one of these cities. And you know what they tell me in my contract? You know, because we, we, you know, they're paying me to come. It says in my contract, don't, please don't mention moving to Israel. Yeah. Like, that's never going to be an answer for anything. Now, I, I promise them not, but, then, but lately they've been putting in parentheses, even if someone asked a question, and that would be the answer <laughs> for their child or for whomever. Like, like, don't even mention it. Like, stop mentioning moving to Israel as, as even important. And, and these are, like, serious communities. Like, these are, like, black hatitude, hardcore, you know, whether litvish or chassidish, but they're... Like, it makes them uncomfortable. So I, I actually told this to one of the Hasidim in my, in my, in Pinsk Karlin, where I daven in Me'asharim, I told it to one of the Hasidim. You know what he did? He ran and grabbed the Chumash and brought the Pusik, because we couldn't talk at the time. He brought the Pusik and he shows me the Pusik of Lot with the angels. Lot, who likes to live in America. So Lot prefers America. He doesn't like hanging out with Abraham. And he, and what happened was, he went to his son-in-laws to tell them that Sodom was going to be destroyed. And I forget the exact pasuk, but it was something like, and they, they were like, the, the, his father-in-law, meaning Lot, who went to tell his son-in-laws, like, get you out of here with my daughters, because it's his daughters and his grandchildren. Like, get out of here, because this place is about to be destroyed. The son-in-laws said, said that, 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 that Lot was like a joker in their eyes. Lot was like a joke. You showed me that puzzle. That Lot was a, a joker in their eyes. And they all died. And the only ones he got out were the two daughters that were still single. They had, they had already gotten married. You know, they had already, you know, built homes and have, you know, SUVs and Honda Odysseys and, you know, and uh, all those other seven-seat cars, you know. And, and they, uh, they just didn't want to leave. So, what are you going to do about it? Candle lighting is coming up, and we're going to stop in literally two minutes. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand and tell me what you're going to do about it. But it's Hanukkah. Like, you want this to be real. You're going to take that light down to the darkest place. You're taking the light, and you're putting it in the darkest places. And we've all been like, we've been like bathing in that dark place. We've all, we're from there. And not only that, we like it. We like it. There's even people here, even in this room, who still daydream about where they're from. I'm not talking about missing their families. They also, we all miss family. If you live in Israel, you miss family, period, for the rest of your life, you miss family. I mean, that's not what I'm discussing. I'm saying people are actually nostalgic for mud. They're nostalgic for it. 
and for just darkness and and uh, and we're uh, so we're here and we're gonna light those candles and so you gotta you gotta cast your vote tonight when you light those candles <coughs> you gotta cast your vote where you at what are you what are you about what are you what are you willing to sell for your own addiction to Greek culture? What are you willing to sell? I, I mean clearly you're willing to sell yourself. You're willing to sell your kids? Willing to, willing to have your kids be total Americans? Total Americans but keeping Torah? Total total Americans but T-A-B, tab. Total Americans, but. You willing to do that? Anyone here willing to do that? So, you got about 20 minutes now to figure that out. <laughs> Otherwise, don't like. <laughs> so, will not lighting be the answer? No. Exactly. Light anyway. And daven by the candles that God should put your head on straight and put your heart in place. Daven by those candles to be from the the B'nai Tzion and not the B'nai Yavim. Please, God, may we all be blessed to have an amazing Hanukkah. And God willing, the future classes won't be so Musser-oriented. But I just wanted to shake you all up today. Just wanted to shake you up because we're starting tonight. After that, we're just going to eat a lot because don't worry. The rest of the class will be nothing but jelly donuts. <laughs> kind of. Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.